0: You are tuned in to The Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing the topic of basically our existence. And we want you to be able to navigate through some topics and a framework of worldview. And so it's we want this worldview to be relevant and loving to people, and so we're reconstructing some things and constructing some things tonight and over the last several weeks. So we're in it every week, diving deep into developing an honest, loving worldview. So if you remember from previous podcasts, we've given you an outline of what we're following from the Belgium atheist philosopher Leo Apostol. And basically this outline is six points that we're walking through. We spent a couple of weeks on methodology and a theory of action, which we're continuing tonight. So a worldview is the fundamental cognitive orientation of an individual so it has to do with your brain how you think and how you perceive the world but it's also of society which encompasses the whole of an individual or society's knowledge and point of view so pov is definitely a perspective of how we look at the world so our filters our culture our growing up how we were raised how we weren't raised how we wanted to be raised um, just our influences, uh, nature and nurture, all of those things come into play when it comes to our worldview. So here's the framework. Number one, we explained in our first podcast on this topic, we explained the world as we see it. Now, three people here in Oregon seeing the world and explaining it as we see it. Well, that's pretty all contextual. Right. So yeah take it for what it is, but it's our explanation of the world. So deal with it, right? Number two is where are we going? That's our future. Futurology is we had a whole couple of weeks on where the hell we are going. And so we wanted to talk through uh, that. We talked about heaven. We talked about hell, the realities of heaven and hell. Do they exist? What, how do they exist? And then we dove right into um, ethical questions, how we should behave, our values, our virtues, uh, where our virtues come from. Why are our v- virtues uh, the way they are? Why are they articulated the way that, that we articulate them? So that was a great podcast. We spent now, this is our second week on methodology and the theory of action. So how should we attain what we're talking about in our worldview? So that's number for the fourth point of Leo Apostles, the atheistic philosopher that came up with our structure. But then number five, we're going to talk about the theory of knowledge. What is true? What is false? Objective truth, subjective truth, tacit knowledge, known knowledge, everything that we know as truth or knowledge, we are going to talk about the theories of that starting next week. So hopefully we'll spend a week or two on knowledge, and then we're going to put it all together. The constructed worldview and the building blocks, the origin, the construction, what we're doing with all of this information. And hopefully by the end of this series, you'll have the framework to come up with your own worldview. We're not asking you to adopt our thoughts totally, um, or rather our the way we articulate our thoughts or our opinions or whatever. We wanna give you a framework on how to do this and how to construct your own worldview. Now, I bet, That what Shreya is going to present tonight is different than what I presented last week. Why? Because she's a different thinker. Number one, she's a lot smarter than I am. But number two is she's a different thinker. She's coming from a different background with different influences. So her six-point framework or her worldview is going to be different than my worldview. How she explains the world is from a different perspective than my perspective. So we're going to just put our worldviews up i um, in the boxing ring tonight and we're going to scrutinize both, hopefully not rip apart too much because I'm sensitive and we need to uh, be careful of that, right? So, <laughs> so in previous podcasts in this series, we mentioned this that if we deconstruct ideas and we don't reconstruct ideas as we're deconstructing, we run the risk of basically becoming the very same thing that we were before. We deconstructed nothing. So when we deconstruct, we need to construct. It goes back to that adage, I wanna be so different than I am right now, but I end up exactly the same. So if we're not putting building blocks together as we deconstruct and we're not constructing something, then we're gonna end up before we deconstructed the values and the position and propositions that we ended up before we even began to deconstruct. So we have to do this in order to move forward. When our framework is disrupted, it can be painful, but we can construct. Don't allow the pain to not or to hinder you from constructing something to move forward. So I want to encourage us this to be our thinking space This is not some space that we are going to just reiterate truths that you have to absorb and just take on our opinion. We're not making, uh, what can I call it, just replicas of ourselves out there. We want you to think for yourself. We do have a chat box that we want you to chat with us and spend time with us even during the week. If you're listening to this off of Thursday night, we want you to join us in conversation then as well. So this is our thinking space tonight, the praxeology or methodology of the theory of action. So a little note to our supporters to support us. Number one, we want you to listen to this broadcast each and every week. We want you to interact with us each and every week. We want you to send us hate mail, emails like love mail. Send it all to us. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear what's inside, even if it's just raunchy and ugly. We want to know what it is so we can help you through it. (laughs) That's what we're about. We're just digging through the muck sometimes. So if you don't agree with something that we're saying, then say it, I wanna hear it. Why, because the things that I believe need to be tested. I wanna test them, refine them, come to good conclusions. And if you sound stupid in those emails, don't be afraid. I probably will call it stupid. Not you stupid, I'll call maybe the idea stupid. So that's the way we act around here. So. But we want to interact don't be afraid to interact with us but more importantly uh just spend time listening just ingesting thinking for yourself you can support us financially of course with that introduction maybe you don't want to but you can support us financially you can go to our website resonatelife.org under the give tab and that's going to be in our show notes as well the the website you can go to that or on our link on our uh resonate uh christian church Um, Instagram page, you can connect into resonatelife.org and give it to us financially. All right, let's cover the theory of action for a moment. I love this topic. Why? Because it's tangible. It's definitely, uh, gets a little formulaic. So I don't want to get too formulaic, uh, because we want to live in the round, not in the square box. So not everything's a formula, but it can be sent through a formula pipeline of logic. So a theory of action, what is a theory of action? Well, I believe that there's questions that need to be answered. And when it comes to a worldview, as we talked about last week, there's universal questions. And those universal questions have been answered for a very long time in different eras of time. So since the 1970s, we've had an evangelical worldview, maybe the 60s. Since Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, some of those days of, like the the missiologists that were out there, back in the sixties and seventies, they developed an evangelical worldview. So there is a definite, a concrete Christian worldview that a lot of people subscribe to. That's just maybe needs to be broken up a little bit. I mean, it's caused them maybe a lot of hurt and pain and all of a sudden you wake up and go, what? Seven days of creation. That's not literal. Are you kidding me? That's a poem. I mean, I've always believed in the seven days of creation. And if I don't believe in the seven days of creation, what happens to the entire Bible? Is Jesus still on the throne? Did Jesus die for my sins If the seven days of creation is broken down? Well, sometimes a worldview and especially a quote, biblical worldview can become so strict that we don't have an allowing space that becomes very hindering to people. It's not loving and it definitely is demeaning and shaming. So we've lived under that kind of worldview for a very long time. We want a compassionate, loving worldview. And so these questions are universal, but yet we need to allow. We need to open the question and almost leave our answers open-ended for what? Not for just some other opinion or I don't agree with that. We need to allow for grace. We need to allow for love and grace to enter into the picture that if I have a worldview, opinion, or truth that I hold on to, grace has to find itself somewhere before that worldview or opinion. Grace is first. Jesus is first. Then some philosophy of life so make sure that we have that in the correct order that this is a philosophy of life the worldview idea it's not jesus and you don't need a worldview in order to believe in jesus you have jesus and if you have jesus jesus is enough um jesus says i'm the the way the truth and the life not i'm the way the truth and the life plus a biblical christian worldview no jesus is enough And so if you put your faith in Jesus and you say, whatever they're talking about is a bunch of bunk, it's okay. So, but we want to answer some of these questions to come up with a philosophy of worldview, how we filter our decisions, why we do the things that we do, why we think the way that we think. So the first question is, where did I come from? That's a universal question. Some people think that we just came from, you know, maybe a a being before, like a reincarnate situation. Right where I was a bug before, now I'm a human now, and I'm going to become a bug later. I don't know. I mean, it's a little more nuanced than that. But maybe your origin you believe is a reincarnate. That's a very basic. I know that was very evangelical Christian with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, see, <laughs> stuck, stuck in a box. So let me back up. Maybe you ha- maybe you have a different kind of origin. Maybe you just don't think you came from anything. Um, maybe you believe that humans were just you know. Well, you can take like, uh, you can take some views that we were planted as like seeds from aliens. You can take that alien theory or, you know, the monster theory of evolution or something like that. Um, I believe in a theory of evolution. So I believe in a progressive evolution. So that's where we came from. According to my worldview, uh, destiny, where are we going? So if we came from something, we got to go from, go to something. And so where are we going? Are we staying here? Are we blowing off the earth? Are we becoming Nirvana, becoming at one with Brahma? Are we going up into the clouds with Jesus and we're gonna sing in harps and diapers on top of clouds? What are we gonna do? Or are we gonna sit in hell because, you know, me and every singer that's ever said, you know, come on, let's just, you know, die and go to hell together, all those songs about or statements about that, right? That, uh, That we end up in hell with the pitchfork guy That's stabbing us with the gnashing of teeth and we have boils all over our bodies and we're sitting there in Dante's Inferno frying ourselves for eternity. Well, that sounds like a loving God, but where are we going? That's the question. So where did I come from? Where are we going? Why am I here? Why in the world am I here? I mean, I've determined where I'm going. I've determined where I've come from. But why am I even existing? That's a universal question of all worldviews. And then how should I live? Those are my values. It's kind of like the filter where I filter my life through virtue. I filter my life through values. And value clarification is really important. I think that everyone needs to go through a moral inventory value clarification probably every year. We're just gonna sit down. That's gonna be our new resolution exercise. It's not gonna be a a, hey, I wish I could lose 10 pounds. Hopefully you want that too. But every year, maybe you should sit down with your values, virtues and say, am I following these? Do I, do I, do I want these? Am I these? Should I, should I try for more in this area or that area? How should I be? I told my daughter tonight, you know what? I, she did great in her cross country race. She's getting great grades, almost straight A's. I think straight A's right now. She's just really doing awesome in school. She's this eighth grade. Um, cross-country runner and she's always trying to break her PR she broke her PR today and on track or on the on the cross-country race and I told her tonight it's like you can be a cross-country star you can have straight A's you can be good at math but if your character is not good that's the most important thing I want is for your character to be good your virtues to be good and I just kept telling her that tonight as she's like do you think I'm enough dad did I do good enough I'm like you did great. Just keep focusing on your virtues and your values and who you are as a person. That's most important. I told her that in kindergarten in the, in the when she was 5 years old. So then truth. What is truth? Not only how should I live, but then what should I live by? I mean, do we even believe in truth anymore? That's that's hopefully next week. All right. So our tra- our traditions, the way we were raised, our culture, how we were the, 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 the culture we were born in, um, I come from a position of privilege and I'm willing to admit that and embrace, uh, the consequences of that. And honestly, I need to approach people with sensitivity. I need to approach people with honor and care because my tradition, my culture shapes my worldview, a tremendous amount. So I had to work through my worldview with honesty, asking honest questions. Is this just a privileged worldview? A privileged worldview would be something like, I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get to work, and that's how I become successful. That's, it. that's a privileged worldview position. But we forget that our boots were given to us by our parents, and they're strong, and they're leather with good soles, and our straps are really long and strong, and those came from our grandparents, and so just our families of origin sometimes can give us and our and our um, ethnicity and everything can give us a very strong privileged position in life. We need to be careful about how we use that privileged position in our worldview and how we think of the world. Because sometimes, you know, when you're when you're rich and famous, you think a worldview that's rich and famous. And not everybody is rich and famous. I mean, I'm not rich and famous, but I, I know people who are rich and famous and they think through a lens of rich and famous. So we need to be very careful with our our tradition, our culture, our our position. And so so it influences a tremendous amount. So when we answer these questions, that's great. But philosophy on a page is philosophy. The answer to these questions are just answers. And if we don't put them into practice, then what good are they? And I go back to that, that Rick Warren statement years and years ago. Rick Warren, the old preacher from Saddleback, I know he's turned the church over to some other person, but he used to be a preacher down in California. And he said that uh, when when basically the gospel is not lived out it's not tangibly lived out in practical ways right then it's not good news anymore it's a tragedy story it just becomes words on a page the same is true for a biblical worldview you can take the gospel and all the scriptures and and you can develop answers to these questions but if you don't do anything with them if you don't play it out if you don't like act it out at least act it out uh, then it just becomes just words on a page. It just becomes a uh, worthless jargon. And I think that's what a lot of worldview ideas have become. It's just worthless, worthless jargon. And we end up not believing. We end up not believing what we actually were told or develop worldviews out of. I mean, honestly, when we start talking about hell, or you talk about spiritual warfare. Or you talk about heaven and the traditional ideas of heaven, hell, and tr- and spiritual warfare. You almost kind of end up laughing after a while. It's like, have, have I just like hook, line, and sinker, just believed this stuff without any thought or or critique or scrutiny? I've just just believed heaven was a certain way and hell was a certain way. But the problem is, is those shape our decisions today. All right. So here's the answers that I came up with for these questions. I'm going to quickly answer them and then Sheree's going to take it. She's going to take the rest of this, this basically this podcast, and she's going to go through hers and then we're going to scrutinize hers. We're going to just work over her language and her words, and then we're going to send it through our formula, our theory of action formula. And so where we're getting to is this, keeping the end in mind. If I do this thing, then we will see that. Ha- If I do this thing, then we will see that happen, which will lead to this and which will result in that outcome that we want to see. So if I do this thing, it will result in an outcome. That's basically where we're headed. So if I actually implement my worldview, we'll have an outcome, hopefully, that's healthy and not toxic. All right. So origin, where did I come from? This is what I wrote. I am created in God's beauty and image. Human beings were created over a long period of time through a natural process of evolution. I just lost half the audience there. I mean, anybody that that sometimes believes in anything that's not exactly seven days of creation, that's a literal translation of, of Genesis 1 through 3, sometimes you just lose them. But, you know, I don't believe in a literal creation story. So you know burn me at the stake i guess human beings were created over a long period of time through a natural process of evolution the creation narrative is a, the hebrew poem collection in genesis 1 through 3 they are repeated in a creation myth through scripture to show us that god's present and con- that god is present and continual from beginning to end Now here's an addition that I added because Sharia and her thoughts into my worldview, my thoughts, my attitude, my emotions, my reactions and my intentions are mostly determined from my origin culture of privilege, which I recognize and am sensitive to, to as I approach and interact with others. So that's where I'm going. That's where I'm from. This is where I'm going.
1: How about, uh, Kevin, for the sake of let's have Sherea do her first one and then we can walk back, back and, and forth, forth, back and forth. Do you forth. think
0: Sharia, that's Sharia's decision?
2: Uh, I think in terms of flow, it makes a lot of sense.
0: OK, so I'll, I'll read mine. OK, I'll, well, we're never going to get through. I just know we're never going to get through. Anyway, OK, it's OK. OK. Uh, so let me read origin and then you read origin twice okay Okay, so here's mine twice i am create second time i am created in god's beauty and image human beings were created over a long period of time through a natural process of evolution the creation narrative is the hebrew poem collection in genesis 1 through 3. they are repeated in a creation myth through scripture to show us that God is present and continual from beginning to end. My thoughts, attitude, emotions, reactions, inter intentions. My thoughts, attitude, emotions, reactions, and intentions are mostly, not always, but mostly determined from my origin culture of privilege which I recognize and am sensitive to as I approach and interact with others.
2: Right. Where did we come from? I believe that humans are created by God through evolution. We are from the earth and part of the earth and interbeing with everything. I come from a culture that tells me I am separate and superior and a biblical tradition that tells me I am interconnected. And it's hard to embody that biblical voice. Hmm. Would you like me to read a second time?
0: Absolutely. I need to hear those words again.
2: Okay. I believe that humans are created by God through evolution. We are from the earth and part of the earth, an interbeing with everything. I come from a culture that tells me I am separate and superior, and a b- biblical tradition that tells me I am interconnected. And it's hard to embody the biblical part. Why? Because I think culture speaks a whole lot louder. Hmm. And I think I think the biblical tradition gets co-opted um, and then shouted out by greater culture.
0: so the culture speaks that you're superior Mm -hmm. but the biblical narrative speaks community interconnection interrelationship i think so but when we're superior we don't need we're self-reliant yeah so it's an issue of self-reliance versus Mm interdependence interdependence So you're the one who brought up culture of privilege.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that what you're speaking in superiority? Your yeah. culture of privilege is 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 superior. Okay. Have you thought about using that word privilege or culture within that?
2: Uh.
0: She some, does use culture.
2: I yeah. I use culture. I did not use privilege, and that wasn't necessarily a conscious choice to avoid the word
0: yeah because a lot of people are afraid of that word
2: right yeah no I can own it I I do have a lot of privilege
0: yeah because I mean I have white privilege I I, when I adopted two children I I took enough classes pre pre all of the political sniping of right you know white privilege the words right and so, pre- all of that,- 15, well, how twelve years ago, I was taking classes on racism and and white privilege and how I had <laughs> white privilege. So I mean, my knowledge and belief in white privilege goes way back at least at least more than a decade now of studying it. So so yeah, I, I think that we need to, I guess, recapture that that word in yeah. our teaching. Yeah.
2: To outright acknowledge it.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Just because it's been, I guess, politicized or fearfully politicized. Like, yeah. you can't use that, you know, like, well, that's what white sensitivity is all about. Um, So you can't use that word because you're afraid you're going to offend, you know, some winger out there. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. Would,
1: my, my only thought was, At the same time, Kevin brought forward the why, and expounding on the why is important for for origin, because that is what is our actual origin, is the why.
2: Okay. Okay can you can you give me an example of where you where you see that or where you're looking for more
1: oh like uh, like why is your why are you being told something other than the truth oh. yeah or why why not the truth but like yeah I guess the truth for you but why yeah what is the block I think you answered it right mm-hmm but just adding that in there to to the why.
2: Privilege wants to protect privilege.
1: Yeah. And then um, like you and adding to I think something you were speaking to was a uh, what was it called? A it in- very hum- human centric history. Yeah.
2: Mm
1: anthropocentric history there it is the Mm -hmm. uh that you were trying to take that away in your origin so that yeah first you said humans and then part of creation so um really hitting hard that that humans are a part of the created order and does not stand above but stands with yeah
0: Mm. -hmm: How about use in the end there, instead of something that because it is hard to embrace interconnectivity, interrelationship dependence, interdependence? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just stating that obvious, uh, maybe, say, a more proactive type intention, like set your intention with the difficulty, that just acknowledging the difficulty, yes, that is difficult. And has been for millennia um, <laughs> uh, since I guess the first murder. Um, so I guess, yeah. So I guess that that would be an obvious thing. Acknowledge it, the difficulty, um, yet set the intention, maybe. Like, what are you going to do with the difficulty or what are you going to do with interconnectivity right. or interdependence? Good. Right. Okay. Should we go to destiny? Sure. Okay. So mine twice and then Sharia twice. Destiny. This is answering the question, where am I going? God is coming here and I am returning back to where we all started. In the end, heaven and earth comes to get, excuse me. In the end, heaven comes to earth and the recreation narrative is brought to full expression. A new heaven, a new earth, a new, quote, garden is built preserving my current recreative actions and demanding my current preservation of the ecology around me. In the meantime, after death and the final, in the meantime, after death and the final judgment, I'll embrace the mystery of Paul's words when I am absent from the body I'm at home with the Lord twice. I forgot the twice. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So where am I going? God is coming here and I am returning back to where we all started. In the end, heaven comes to earth and the recreation narrative is brought to full expression. A new heaven, a new earth, a new quote garden is built preserving my current recreative actions and demanding my current preservation of the ecology around me. In the meantime, after death and the final judgment, I'll embrace the mystery of Paul's words. When I'm absent from the body, I'm at home with the Lord. So that's with all of your your two inclusions of, of what... Uh, your scrutiny last week. Okay, Sharia? Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Where are we going? I believe that God is here, and while I hope that God will make all things right, I have no way of knowing what happens after death. What I can do is build the world I want to live in, bringing peace and making right what I can, and participating in the harmony and recreation of the world around me. Number two. I believe that God is here and while I hope that God will make things right I have no way of knowing what happens after death what I can do is build the world I want to live in bringing peace and making right what I can and participating in the harmony and recreation of the world around me
0: okay one more time
2: (laughs) I believe that God is here while I hope that God will make all things right I have no way of knowing what happens after death. What I can do is build the world I want to live in, bringing peace and making right what I can, and participating in the harmony and recreation of the world around me.
0: I needed to do a lectio divina on that, I guess, <laughs> three <laughs> times. Um, okay, so number one, I you you just just crushed my first sentence. I, I said, God is coming here. <laughs> just left hook, like God is already here. It's like, God, yeah. is, God is not here. God is coming here at some point. I mean, you could actually interpret it that way. Uh, so I just edited my version and said, God is right, here, like, and I'm returning back to where we all started.
2: Right, if God is already here, where is there to go? We're all already here.
0: Exactly, so you have no, so, God is here and you have no idea what happens after life, after death. So what is, so what is heaven to you?
2: I don't know, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the part that, you know, I hope God is going to make things right somehow.
0: Okay. Like, Do you believe that, that heaven and earth come together in a new creation?
2: I think that's what the text says. Yeah.
0: Like an N.T. right version of recreation where heaven yeah. and earth come together and just kind <clears> of, <throat> I don't know, a massive bigger ball is built. <laughs> <I don't...
2: laughs> that must be it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Explain to me God is here.
2: think God inhabits all of us. And.
0: Is that Paisley?
2: That is Paisley. She's yes. annoyed that I'm paying attention to something not her. God,
0: God was inhabiting something in Paisley at that moment. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: So God, God in all inhabits us,
0: all of us. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hmm. But okay. is God in the trees and the rocks and the. And the plants, too.
0: Well, that's very panthe. Maybe. What is that I know, but Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Careful there, Sharan. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, textually, I think it's hard to build a case for that one.
2: Sure.
0: I case for what one?
1: My like God is here. Mm. Um, albeit spirit, you know. Yeah. Spirit lives inside of you. Very Namaste-esque. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Um, but what do you think, Jake, when something is nuanced and you capture it? and that's good for your soul. Is that still okay?
1: When something's nuanced and you capture it then it's good for your soul. Is that still okay?
0: Yeah. For example, I have a certain version of speaking in tongues, an interpretation, a thought, and a version of interpretation. But if somebody takes the nuance of that they can speak in tongues and that grows them closer to God or close, closer to themselves, is that still okay?
1: Depends on what it is.
0: <laughs> well, I just gave you that example. Yeah, I think, well,
1: I think Shireya's, uh God is here. That is, I think, more healing than... The concept of speaking in tongues, which has been more divisive. Yeah.
0: Yes, but both show the inhabitant God.
2: Are you are you familiar with Richard Rohr's um the universal Christ?
0: Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> G- gave it to the Pope. <laughs> you, <laughs>
1: you, Richard Rohr gave it to the Pope.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't give it to the Pope. Richard Rohr gave <laughs> it to the Pope. Yeah. Yes. Here, here read this.
2: <laughs> that's really the direction I'm thinking, in, and it's been long enough since I've read it that I can't just, like, give you all the main points, but, like... Give me one. Christ, Christ is in all things. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So God is here. Christ is in all things.
0: Right. Yet, yeah, the reason why I brought up speaking in speaking in tongues and God inhabits all of us, both are saying the same thing. So, so just one is kind of expressed in a outward fashion versus just a, a stated fashion. Um, but Jake, you said, well, you have a hard, you would have a hard time with the text proving Sharia's first sentence. God is here. uh, but It's not a toxic sentence,
1: not toxic at all. And so, no. just to be have more like breadth around that is that God inhabits each of us, mm. I think, could be some more uh like definition mm-hmm. of what here means because mm-hmm. um, I think that opens the door for lots of, lots of theologies and lots of, um, uh, religions. I would say it's warfare theology. Yeah. It could be warfare theology. Not,
0: not,
1: not even warfare theology.
2: That's a darker direction.
0: (laughs) Well, it can, it can. Yeah.
1: I see that. It can. I think I'm more going with like pantheism or, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the universal Christ with roar tickles at that Christ is in all religions mm-hmm. and that and that in through virtue and through service and through gratitude and generosity, we see the characteristics of Christ in every major religion on the face of the planet, mm-hmm. and so um is how i is is a part of that that thought yeah. that's a very small part but i'm the, the going down is that having more definition of what do you mean by here is that the the namaste um idea that i bow i bow to the god that's inside of you the, the
2: christ <laughs> in me recognizes the christ in you
1: yeah mm-hmm. Namaste. In me recognize
0: yeah. Namaste. So we we have the same exact sayings as Hindus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so or- so let me encourage something. is I, I really appreciate Richard Rohr, Sharia, and you brought him up. So maybe maybe with your statement there, go back to Richard Rohr's material yeah. and just kind of flesh that out and bring it uh, to our last podcast because I think that would be a healthy kind of parsing out of, of what you're trying to say because I get what you're trying to say and I I, everything else that you said of course is you know rock star but that one idea that Jake is Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is on uh yeah to make sure and maybe you can help me with mine then too because I say the same thing although mine was toxic that was (laughs) God is coming here one day he's out there somewhere he's coming one day and so, therefore, we're just left puppies on the earth trying to fend for ourselves. <laughs> so I like the more nuance of God is already here and present, but then that runs runs a risk of, well, how present? In those rocks, yeah. in those trees, in is well, are, 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 are we omni, in the, omnipresent? Or are we in Myth the eyeballs of God? Nice. I know we don't want to use them, but (laughs) I mean, how about this? So, so my, so my mother-in-law, if we use the parental figure of God, right? Mm -hmm. If we, if we talk about the parental idea of God and relate it to being a parent, right? My mother-in-law, when Amanda and I were struggling, Amanda and I were just talking about this uh, today, uh, this morning, in fact, Uh, When we were really struggling and we really needed some extra help, we were all stressed out. Lots of things were going on. My mother in law, uh, she Karen, she said, "We'll just come over there. We'll live there for a while and help you." Hmm. Right? I went. I don't think that's necessary, (laughs) But, but. you know, we love you, I thank you for loving us. I, I didn't think it was necessary and we got our crap together and, and figured it out. But we, we might, needed, might have needed that kind of help. Um, my wife's brother, my brother-in-law, has needed help um, in the last couple of years. And my mother-in-law packed her stuff up, sold everything and moved to Florida or Georgia, moved to Georgia to be and help her son. Does God have to be present everywhere? I mean, does my neediness theology, my scarcity theology, determine my omnipresence of God? Is that where that actually comes from?
2: That's a big question. Can I rephrase it to make sure I got it? Yeah. Are you saying that... If we have a scarcity mindset, we don't have the things that we think we need. Yeah. So then we have to put God God in the gaps, put God in the.
0: In my neediness. God is yeah. here. God is for me. But like, do I then make up my scarcity at that point? Do I right. perpetuate right. my neediness? Because
2: then if your scarcity goes away, so does God.
0: Of course. So God has to be with me, in me, around me. He has to be omnipresent because I need God. I need him to wipe my butt and feed my face. You know, he promises, those are the promises of God. But I mean, let's, let's say (laughs) God is, is, yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) but honestly, I I just think it's something to think about, you know, maybe, yeah, anyway, that's a whole nother day okay let's go to our purpose who okay purpose uh my purpose and mission is to illuminate activate and animate the christ in everyone i meet that comes from my mentor leonard sweet from one also, of my god good is friends here. huh also god is oh here. god is here yeah uh, kyle bostock my friend kyle bostock said the gospel is and this is kind of a summary of what he said The gospel is not about me saving the lost, not a moral ethic, nor a hidden spirituality. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus is our savior. I changed the last phrase. Jesus is our savior. My purpose and mission is to illuminate, activate and animate the Christ in everyone I meet. The gospel is not about me saving the lost not a moral ethic, nor a hidden spirituality. The gospel is an announcement, is an announcement that Jesus is our savior.
2: There it is right there. The Christ in me recognizes the Christ
0: in you. Namaste, Sharan. Namaste. Okay.
1: Dude.
2: (laughs) Why am I here?
1: Why are you here? <laughs> Why are we here? Tell us, Sharia.
2: I'm here to show love and to continue learning how to love more. Um, I don't quite have this sentence figured out the way I want it exactly, but I think humans are here to play. To play? Yeah.
0: Pickleball, I hope?
2: Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> And I've never like played I don't have it fleshed out, but like I think I think work is a part of that. Oh. Um, but I think play is the greater posture.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, half also my job is garden. half my job is janitorial maintenance, and so you're calling that play.
2: <laughs> Humans are here to be playful.
0: I'm a, I'm a pastor too, so that's. Hmm. Half my job is janitorial maintenance. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just. But I'm it playing. feels that way sometimes. I'm playing. <laughs> okay, so our job, our job or our mission or our purpose is to play.
2: Well, I started with I'm, "I'm here to show love and continue learning how to love more."
0: That last sentence, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, that last sentence is. Um.
1: She hasn't I, quite figured it out yet. Yeah, okay. I
2: haven't figured out my wording, but we're we're here to play and to enjoy things and to learn and experiment and hopefully arrive at more love.
0: Well, I kind of I kind of like the way that sounded just right there. It's great. It kind of went came back to it. Well, I appreciate your emphasis on love that's that's mm-hmm. good
1: i would I would like to see uh, our duty job, whatever to is to love and learn more what love is. Um, perhaps a buy in there would be nice.
2: Mm. Does that get too much into the formula? that we're going
1: to do. I think, I think that I trust you. And so your, what you say I, I'm, I'm going to love is when you know somebody or know their intention or know them for, a while I think that that is mm-hmm. a easier proposition to absorb than
2: yeah
1: and someone saying I'm here to love right right because <laughs> we don't know we don't know their fruit we don't know what right. comes out of their actions and so uh, I think Kevin talks about illuminate mm, activate activate animate and. Slender sweetisms. Yeah. And so, so how, how do you, how do you show love? hmm To be careful to not just, I know you're not. By
2: being but, loving.
1: Yes. And to not like just put the, the Christianisms out of. Right. Well, our duty here is to love. hmm How?
2: Um, yeah, and that's where it starts to get into the next question.
1: It does. I I get that. Yeah. I think I think you have to have some parameter. Mhm. But definitely. Yes.
0: But you're right. It does go right into the next question. Yeah. About values. Yeah. Mhm. So values I live my life. So I've completely changed this from last week. You guys just ripped it to shreds and I just went out, oh, crap, just crap. Okay. So now I just came up with something different. So maybe it needs to go under a little more scrutiny. I live my life in the virtues of second Peter one, five through seven. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith. And to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self control, and to self control, endurance, and to endurance, godliness, and to godliness, affection for others, and to affection for others, love. Just rip it.
2: <laughs> the biblical text. You want me to tear it apart? Just rip <laughs> it to shreds.
0: No, I threw that in there on purpose because. That's all I could come up with is just a scriptural value that I would just kind of just land there and steep there for a while. Okay. I live my life in the virtues of 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith and to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, endurance, and to endurance godliness and to godliness affection for others and to affection for others, love. Shreya?
2: Yep. I'm editing a word. Okay. Oh, real time. How should I live? Um. For me, it comes down to showing love and leaving it better than you found it. Um, like
0: a campsite yeah
2: (laughs) but I think I think showing love involves um, allowing others to be fully themselves um, Mm -hmm. and treating them the way they want to be treated Mm -hmm. not necessarily you know the golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated but honestly not everybody wants to be treated the way I want to be treated (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially if you're struggling.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. One more time.
2: How should I live? By showing love and leaving it better than I found it. And I think showing love involves allowing others to be fully themselves and treating them how they want to be treated. And then i didn't really expound upon leave it better than you found it um but i think that kind of gets more into the action piece
1: i think that's pretty great um mm-hmm. yeah read it to me again slowly
2: showing love and leave it better than you found it showing it cha- love I would,
1: oh. I would change your in to buy
2: Oh, okay.
0: Was that a, oh, like light bulb or was that an, oh, bummer?
2: No, that was a, you're saying showing love by leaving it better than you found it?
1: I think, yeah, I think so. that was
2: an, oh, sweet. I like it. <laughs> oh.
1: oh. Colleen Thompson likes it as well.
0: She loves it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so let me ask you a question about leaving it better than you found it leaving yeah. it
2: well now that now that we're showing love by leaving it better than we found it we're leaving we're leaving them we're leaving all things better it than we found just it
0: fine. it is all inclusive well you can bring a you can bring a human element to it and you could say you could just describe what it is what you're saying you could say uh it slash them.
2: By by leaving all of creation.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It all. Leaving it all. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So maybe something there might be more descriptive. Because if you just say them, then okay, I don't have to do anything with the earth. Right. If you say it it kind of dehumanizes it. Well, but then people say, "Oh, what's it?" Well, that's not a human, so I don't have to leave humans better than I found them. <laughs> right, right. You know, actually, there there is something that I want to bring up just really quick because I I think that this is important, and we're parsing words and we're we're talking about nuances of sentences and stuff. <laughs> but honestly, uh, I read an article. A friend of mine sent me an article this last week and I was just dumbfounded that this article was written and how it was written and why it was written and how did this get past the editor, I mean, of the magazine. I just sat there and I was like, who is this and what theology is this? And I had to come to the conclusion that real poor theology actually starts with passion and belief. I mean, honestly, like that people have passions and they have belief that are very strong in certain ideas and thoughts, and they believe that they are doing the right thing. And it it sometimes is a fully loaded freight train one way and trying to get people on that train. and It is a heavy train to stop. Some people sometimes that train can't be stopped and people literally get. Hit all along the way. So this article started out with Jesus calls us to love our enemies and then it defined enemy a little bit as people and they took the adage that that I believe, right? I believe that you cannot separate somebody's sin from the person, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I can't say something like this, well, love the the sinner, but hate the sin. That's like, cop that's out. just, a, that's just a cop right. out. I mean, you can't do that, right? So somebody's actions are very closely related and are who they are, at least at minimum an expression of who they are uh, from the inside and an expression of the lack of knowledge and, and sometimes. Just their ignorance, or sometimes just their mistakes. Um, it's just who we are collectively, all-encompassing. And this person used that idea that I have in, embraced uh, with, like, loving more people, openness, than... people. Yeah, right. I, I I've embraced this this uh, thought that I'm gonna love people and they're going to do things and be a certain way that I'm going to struggle with or I'm not going to struggle with or whatever. It's not my job to sit there and parse their life and their actions and their occupation, their lifestyle. It's my job to love them. And how do I do that? And how do I find inroads to do that? That is my job as a a Christian. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies, then this person said, well, you can't separate sin from the sinner. So your enemy, then when you, when you call when, and I also believe, I also believe that if it has flesh and blood, it is not our enemy. So that separates me from this article writer, because he believed that our enemies are people. And so he said, you can't separate the sin from the sinner. And so when Jesus said, love your enemies, he put people in that category of enemy. Well, I understand where he was going with that and I understood it to a point, right? But then he said, loving your enemies included hate. Point blank, just said it included hate. And loving, part of loving was hating. And so somebody's doing something that you disagree with, that loving somebody means that you hate them because they act repugnant towards God and so he brought up some you know examples of some you know very extremist groups of certain religions and stuff and he was using very extreme examples of of this and and he was going down roads that i was just completely shocked that he was going down roads his conclusion was when jesus said to love people that he meant within that we hate people as well. Certain people. That was his conclusion. Do you love them enough to hate them? Do you love them enough to hate them? And I just sat there and I was like, where's this guy coming from? And I, I read it over and over. I've read it so many times looking for the nuance, looking for the inroad, what did this person actually mean? And this is a very, very, very popular, popular, uh, uh, publisher and website and pastor and, and such very influential person. Do you love people enough to hate them? And I was just blown away and I go, where does this come from? Where's this coming from? And I had to come to the conclusion that it came from this person's worldview. This person has a worldview that is skewed. It's somewhere along the way their belief and their passion got, got, uh, or their passions got ahead of their virtues. And so the virtue of love needs to stay intact as the primary. Loving your neighbor is exclusively the route to go, the road to take, exclusively the action to carry out, love your neighbor. Um, But when our passions get ahead of that virtue, that's when, that's when hate can enter the picture. Uh, And then when we start nuancing and mixing, uh, you know, musing words together and, and looking for the nuances of, of old adages. When we add old adages, love the sin, hate the sinner, we use that as like a theological premise. That's a theological premise for some people. And then when we counteract that with no, you can't separate that. Well, I meant that as when I say you can't separate sin and sinner, that means that you love people regardless of what they're doing and how they're acting. Period. You love people and you figure out how to do it, even though you might find it like, whoa, you know, I can't agree with that or I don't deal with that very well or whatever. That has more to do with you than it has to do with them. And so we need to figure out how to love people. So our worldview in especially virtue, sometimes our passions get ahead of our virtues. And that's where we get all skewed. That's what we see in the world today with nationalism and all kinds of very extremist behaviors when in, in Christianity, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, you know, common thing now. Passions getting ahead of virtues. And so hate can get in front of love. If we're not careful with how we are embodying our worldview, that is all to say, uh, thanks for that Shreya. That's good. Simple. <laughs> All right, let's go to the yeah. truth. Do we have some truth? I, I don't. We need a new truth for you. I don't believe. I think I read it, and Did we we, get I, there? we got there by reading it. Um, so here's my truth. Truths that guide my principles are empirical. They're all subjective. Any objective tr- truth is truly unseen. Yet when given a glimpse. It can only be understood through what Paul explained, the things that God has made. My family, community, and friends exist, work, and play in normative realities. Now we're going to talk about what communal hermeneutic is and communal truth. The Bible is inspired fully by God and inspired fully by humankind. It is the mashing of beauty, perfection, and the authority in the Word of God with a fallibility, influence and culture in the world of humankind. Sharia? Yep.
2: I believe that I can only know a portion of the truth and this inspires me to seek multiple perspectives so that I can see a bigger portion of what is true. I like that. One more time.
0: Please. Just let that steep because we're not going to cover it until next week.
2: I believe that I can only know a portion of the truth. This inspires me to seek multiple perspectives so that I can see a bigger portion of the truth.
0: Hmm. So can I, I was not going to bring it up till next week, but can I just bring up something? just a little preview. Okay. So I finally figured out through a conversation with a friend of mine why they believe that we can have objective truth. Okay. Okay. Because no one in my circle believes that we really can have objective truth. We're kind of Kierkegaardian in that way, right? Where all truth is filtered through the subject, the complex okay. subject of our context, right? And so it's subjective truth. We can ride right above objectivity. Like Kierkegaard says, you know, it's like a hovering, like you can get really, really close, right? So this is what this person said. I've actually received multiple, you know, people from different places in different parts of the United States. And I had some good stuff said from North Idaho and from, you know, different parts, you know, of, of the world really. Uh, but this one is the one that struck me when I asked about objective truth, it came to us in complete form. Hmm. Okay. And so somehow the mysticism of objective truth then comes into play. Like, can I believe in the objective truth if I believe that it's just a mystical deliverance of the whole form? So somehow, like this embodiment of truth was dropped like out of the sky like tablets right into the forest. And I was a printer that went and got them and i I'm kidding, um, yeah no I that I dropped text something
2: yeah. you said it, referring to truth mm-hmm so in this example, is this complete truth that was delivered is this truth Jesus, or is this truth the Bible?
0: the Bible, or objectivity in the Bible, portions of the oh. Bible
2: mm. Gotcha. I'm less on board. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I, I I had to think about that one for a while. I think that that's what most people believe. Yeah. Most people? I mean...
2: Most Christians?
0: Most people that d- just even have this discussion. What is objective and subjective truth? No, I would say most people. I would say most people.
1: Atheist, agnostic.
0: Well, like, for example, gravity. The truth of gravity.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, okay.
0: You know, it's pretty dropped out of the sky. Oh, yeah. It's right? empiricism. Right. I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. did aliens planet it there? Did, you know, how did we get gravity? you know, just kind of dropped out of the sky, um, biological processes, the mystery behind, you know, the human body and physiology and anatomy, even evolution. Where did that even like start? like dropped out of the sky? Um, so the same is true in Christianity where some of these like ideas just dropped out of the sky. But the problem with believing that is most of the ideas that we read in scripture didn't drop out of the sky. You can trace them back to the original forms and you can say, well, what is the original form then? Well, that's where the mystery and mysticism into oral tradition and way back, these stories were told in whole form. And I, I remember hearing this stuff now that I think about it, even in real time. Now we used to, uh, you know take theological classes that talked about oral tradition in whole form which i do believe that there was that oral tradition that was given in some kind of form but in my studying of even david like we believe that like pieces of hit like the or exodus mm-hmm. people believe that that story is historical right and that story, in a sense, dropped out of the sky as a truth and a historical, accurate, like, telling. Um, hmm. I have a problem with that. I struggle with that. Yeah. Because even the story of David, you know, is like. <sighs> hmm. The story of David. Keep going. Mm, I can't. I don't have the time to unpack that, so that wouldn't be fair to anybody listening.
1: You said it twice,
2: But also so. on the other end, we're still reading the text through our perspective. So...
0: Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Can't that's we a kid. No, that's yeah. That's a Kierkegaardian. I'm hovering over. I'm getting mm-hmm. close. That's but that objectivity dropped kind of out of that. We received it in whole form. So, so for example, some people believe in the received text. The Latin Vulgate mm-hmm. is the received text. The whole form of the Bible given to us by God. So that is the objective truth of life. The rule of life.
2: Right. I just. So what we're still reading it from our perspective
0: <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> let's talk about that next week because this is okay. we'll get into david next yeah because that's my whole illustration about truth objectivity subjectivity so maybe blow your minds a little bit i don't know all right if we do this thing then we will see that we will see that happen which will lead to this and which will result in that outcome that we want to see. So let's start with the origin, Shirea. Mm-hmm. Give me, give us your origin idea again.
2: Okay. Uh, you want me to read the whole thing? Sure. Okay. I believe that humans are created by God through evolution. We are from the Earth and part of the Earth, an interbeing with everything. I come from a culture that tells me I am separate and superior. This is the privilege piece. And a biblical tradition that tells me I am interconnected and I strive to embody the biblical voice.
0: Okay. So you set privilege or superiority against interdependency. Mm -hmm. That's what I hear. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So privilege, superiority set against interdependency, community.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So if I do superiority, Mm -hmm. then what will we see happen?
2: A bunch of fights breaking out.
0: (laughs) Destruction. Empire. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which will lead to what?
2: Inequality, oppression,
0: pain, right? Unhappiness. Which will result in. What outcome?
2: A continual striving to be the one in power. Hmm.
0: And a constant anxiety, I think, that just kills us off. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Let me look up something really quick. The thing that I'm thinking about when I think about superiority. Mm Mm-hmm is there's a movement i want to actually see that if it's a movement because i'm not sure it actually is um hmm. let me try to look this up oh goodness yeah it's actually uh it's actually just kind of a website and they sell T-shirts and stuff. So, But it's a trademarked logo and stuff. It's the Lions Not Sheep movement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're called to be sheep, but all of a sudden we see a lot of Christians out there. And, you know, anyone could make a T-shirt, you know. Anyone can state anything on a T-shirt if they wanted to, I guess. Some things yeah. are hurtful. and Some things are unloving. But, you know, that's the, the world... The, the nation we live in, you can put most things on T-shirts and get away with it. I think that there's certain things you can't, but we'll just leave those for the courts right. to figure out. Um, so, Is it
2: meant to be a Christian thing?
0: Well, I, I don't think so. I, okay. It actually doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter sure. because, because Christians, I see, have adopted this. Mm-hmm. And so we have like a t-shirt, lions, not sheep. And then we wear crosses or we go to church with these t-shirts on, or we have, you know, a cross in the back of our window of our car and we're claiming lions, not sheep. The problem with that is that we've been called to be sheep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep and we are to follow Jesus, right? But the claim is that we are the lion and that lions kill sheep. We're stronger. We have a superiority complex. So let's send that through the test. This is your superiority complex. Right. You nailed it. So if we are lions and not sheep, then what will we see happen? (laughs)
2: I think the answers are the same.
0: Let's go Mm -hmm. through those answers again.
2: Yeah. You keep fighting. You get destruction. You get hurt.
0: Mm. Which will lead to.
2: Inequality and oppression.
0: Which will result in an outcome. Can I answer this one? Yeah. Go for it. I think it's hell. Yeah. On Earth. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it's hell. Mm-hmm. Sure sounds like when, it. When we put empire ahead, and superiority and pride of life ahead, as Scripture tells us that one of the main sins is the pride of life. When we put that ahead of the humility, submission, grace, and forgiveness of of mm-hmm. Jesus and following that example as a sheep is led by the shepherd we see hell that is truly hell yeah yeah that's that's getting back into slave chains like paul said that we are that 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 the chains have been broken mm-hmm. that we are we are back in those in those chains like the israelites with oppression
2: for everybody because even if you're on top you still have anxiety
0: oh oh you're probably weighted with not only chains but with weights on the chains at that point totally. okay well let's take the what's the second part? interdependency
1: mm-hmm.
0: or interrelationship so if we have interdependency so you, you said the hard thing is interdependency so if we do interdependency if we have interrelationship then, what will we see happen
2: in Daniel Erlander's words, Everyone has enough, and no one has too much,
0: okay, all right. I think we'll see community
2: yeah
1: mm-hmm. peace I think your your theology of peace
0: goes very deep in this point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which leads to peace. Yeah. (laughs) True. Maybe the same. But then what's the outcome? Yeah, there you go. It leads to heaven.
2: Shalom. I mean, so.
0: Shalom, yeah. Uh
2: What I like about the idea of shalom, like peace is a really flat translation of that word right because peace like comes across as the absence of fighting um
0: right right as long as we're not conflict we're at peace yeah
2: whereas shalom is more this idea of almost synergy or or harmony like when things are working in shalom working together you end up at a greater result than any one piece could have on its own
1: yeah the sum of the whole is greater than the yeah, the individuals
2: the, yeah the whole is greater than the sum of its parts
0: there you go mm-hmm. yeah okay let's take your other one leaving it better okay. than we found it yeah it them
2: all of it the earth all
0: of, all all of it all of them all of it
1: I think I think eight is uh, eight
0: it is okay
1: okay just say it
0: it for now let's <laughs> just say it because we understand what right. it is well, as long as we and understand also, it
2: so like for the now. first part of that is is showing love right and right we still love to more than just humans paisley yeah so like I suppose <laughs> it is already implied
0: <laughs> okay so if we leave it better than we found it mm-hmm. then we will see what happens.
2: it's going to be cleaner
0: okay
1: I think you go back to Sherea's everyone has enough and no one yeah. has too much mm-hmm. and so when we when we leave everything better than we found it Mm -hmm. pack it in pack it out whatever you want to say Mm -hmm. the it's not about you getting ahead at this point yeah yeah it's about what you leave behind not take with you yeah Mm.
0: so i was in a discussion with a leader last night and very good strong leader her name's debbie and she was talking about employers make their employees do tasks but leaders that are employers help their employees be leaders So it's kind of like the same idea, leave it better than you found it, right? Like you're investing in people. And I think that all tides rise in the harbor and all boats float when we leave it better than we found it. That people grow in their knowledge, they grow in their abilities, they grow in their, their... uh, perceive what they feel is success in their life, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily money success. I'm just saying, just perceive success yeah. in their in their life when you leave it better than you found it. And I would call that purity. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a concept of purity. I'm giving something to you to help increase your life versus impurity would be, I'm giving something to you to degradate your life. Right. Or taking from you. Or taking from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Especially so that I don't have to do it to make my life better.
0: Right. Right. So if we do that, then this will happen, which will lead to what? Leaving it better mm-hmm. than we sound. found it.
2: We still arrive at... <laughs> Peace and shalom,
0: don't we? Well, I think yes, but that's the other part of shalom that others can partake.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So that is part of shalom, that we're living in harmony enough that it's not necessarily only just now about the the four of us. So we have shalom, but the idea of shalom is more community broad. And so the next outsider foreigner that's welcomed in, right, can take right. part in the shalom as well. So I think about the campsite. I wasn't joking about the campsite. You pick up your poop and trash out of the campsite. Why? So that the next camper can come in and they can mm-hmm. use the campsite. So you leave it better than you found it or the trail or whatever. So other people can enjoy. Um, the same is with the foreigner being a la or the foreigner being welcomed in. Uh, they can enjoy peace and harmony and generosity as well. Yeah. And so that results in heaven. So I think that tonight we kind of nailed something that we can send our statements and our thoughts and our ideas through uh, this filter, the, the theory of action. And if we, if we conclude heaven, that the result in the outcome that we want to see is heaven on earth. If we conclude heaven on earth, then I believe that our, th- our theories or our philosophy or our worldview can be um, to the test that the result is heaven. If the result is hell, we need to change what we're saying and in, in, our, in our approach with our worldview. Okay. Well, that was a lot. We only had a chance to do two in -hmm. our hour and a half. And so we're going to end with that. Gosh, thanks Sharia for uh, doing that this week and allowing us to be a part of your thinking there. i really appreciate your wisdom. So what we're going to do next week is we're going to pick it up with the, um, The uh, theory of knowledge and we're going to talk about truth objectivity subjectivity tacit knowledge the theory of knowledge Um, and and we're going to talk through normative communal hermeneutic. We're going to talk through all kinds of. It's going to be a few weeks, probably. I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably two weeks. We'll probably spend two weeks on that, and then we're going to conclude it. Um, and Jake will have a surprise for us in the end, uh, where he's. <laughs> we've already talked about only getting through two worldviews, and then he's going to present his when we put the building blocks together at the last uh, podcast. So you're going to hear more about this subject, at least presented at their very end. All right. I really appreciate both of your thoughts. Thank you, Jake and Shreya for uh, participating tonight. And with that, we'll sign off. Good night, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. (laughs)